Welcome to Much More Much Year with Pup Duffy and Kara Lane, an Aunt Imagination production. Guys, I am here with Jesse Crossan. We're going to be talking a little bit about his experience as an incarcerated person and also the good works that he is doing uh, since your release. Just a little basic synopsis, shall we say, of what happened with you is something that's kind of, it's incredibly relatable because a lot of people um, have either been in that situation or they've been family members of someone in that situation. Very young, it seems, you got into drugs and that kind of set you down this path. Tell me a little bit about that experience. Sure. So like a lot of kids, I I didn't have the coping tools and skills that I needed to deal with stress and trauma and challenges in my life. So as soon as I found the opportunity to run away from it or kind of numb that pain or numb those those issues, that's what I did. Um, and that led from, you know, smoking pot and then drinking to then cocaine, which really became the supercharger because no longer was I just kind of like casually or passively running from these things. All of a sudden I was just full steam into the night and completely crazy. Within three months, I went from, you know, taking a year off before college, you know, thinking about the future to just completely crazy. I uh, committed a robbery as we were trying to get money for more. I also committed a non-fatal shooting where there was an argument that led to a meeting and, you know, testosterone and cocaine and alcohol all combined were just a terrible combination. And I'm incredibly thankful that I didn't take anybody's life that day. Uh, I was arrested. I was incarcerated. I pleaded guilty to the crimes that I committed. And uh, this day of sentencing, um, it called for from eight to 13 years. My sentencing guidelines were modified. They became 10 to 16 years. And I was sentenced to serve 32 years in prison. Um, so the judge went and basically doubled the high point of the guidelines. And that was the point at which I realized, uh, I mean, I, I'd realized in the, the months prior that obviously like, you know, things were different or my life was in many ways, my life as I knew it was over, but that was really kind of like the death blow. And it was a matter of how do I adjust to this? How do I really accept like the harm that I've done? How do I move forward? How do I become accountable? How do I change? How do I become the person that I want to be? And I was asked kind of all these questions of myself and I stumbled a lot, but went through the process of trying to figure that out and was really lucky to have support and was really lucky to have, you know, people who helped me and showed me and encouraged me and kicked my ass when I needed it and allowed me to go through and, you know, eventually get a, a college degree, become a journeyman electrician, help start a peer sport mental health program. And then after 19 years or about 19 years, the governor thought I had basically done enough work and actually granted me a conditional pardon and released me, which was about 10 years before the end of my original sentence. So I went from being incarcerated, having that been the only life I knew as an adult, because I've committed my crimes just after my 18th birthday, to being cast out into the world with an hour and a half's notice and trying to find my way to exist and be an adult and interact with other people. And it was it was bizarre and it was overwhelming. And that really has kind of guided and motivated the work that I've done since, because I remember that experience, because it was such a struggle for me. And I had spent all those years preparing and getting an education and in therapy and reading self-help books. So I was thinking, you know, if, if, if this is this overwhelming, this difficult for me, I can't imagine how it is for someone who doesn't have the resources and doesn't have the support. And I wanted to work to try to create that. Absolutely. Is that a, is that a situation where it was, and I don't know if this is the Hollywood method, but time off for good behavior kind of thing, because you showed that you were growing, or, uh, rising above who you were. Do you think that had a lot to do with the pardon? In Virginia, we have what's called ESC or earned sentence credit, which means you can earn 4.5 days a month uh, of good time, which means on that 32 years, I would have had to do about 28 years. Um, that's if I you know, stayed out of trouble, did everything right. Now, we don't have parole. Parole was abolished in 1995. So the only chance for someone who has an excessive sentence or a long sentence to have it refused is it's an executive pardon from the governor. 
And I just happened to kind of come in at a perfect time where I had applied. I had never applied before that because lots of guys were like, oh, you have to put in for it every couple of years. And, but to me, it was, I had to do the original, like high point of my guidelines, which was 16 or 16 and a half years. Um, and I had to feel like I had actually earned it because for all those years, I didn't I, like, what right do I have to ask for, for clemency or ask for forgiveness? I, I really had to feel like I had done that. And once I had gotten my college degree, once I had helped start the peer sport mental health program, once I had had articles published, once I had like, once I had done something to build a community and give back and mentor and help other people, then I felt like I was, it was possible for me to ask. And I still felt shame around that, like shame around asking for forgiveness for all the harm that I've done, because, you know, there are people that literally have scars to this day because of the choices that I made. And so it was very difficult for me to do. Um, but it, it was then a perfect storm of the governor, you know, being embroiled in a political scandal where his his response, rather than to kind of like run away or resign, was like, all right, well, let's actually look at some of the issues. Let's take a deep dive. And he, as governor, pardoned more people than every other uh, governor in Virginia combined. Um, and so it was just this massive kind of movement that allowed me to be in a position to be granted that, which probably would not have happened any year before or any year after it weren't for those perfect circumstances. In your biography, you mentioned that going to jail kind of, you you breathed a sigh of relief. It was, I don't want to say it was the best thing that could have happened to you, but it did seem like, I mean, you got clean, obviously, because you can't really, theoretically. Oh, there are plenty of drugs in prison, unfortunately. Yeah, I was going to say, theoretically, you can get clean, you know, but sometimes uh, with addicts, you, you said so many things that like just hit home with addicts, they can't get clean without, you know, maybe getting locked up. They can't do it. Or people that do drugs to, like you said, to numb the trauma or to, you know, uh, bury the trauma. A lot of times because they're not dealing with the source of trauma, all the drugs in the world are not going to fix it, unfortunately. And they end up, you know, in a horrible situation. They end up dead, God forbid, you know. So your story is just, it's inspiring in such a way that like, People are always like, oh, things will never get better. I can never be anything more than who I am. Oh, yeah. Well, you know, be locked up for 16, 19 years and, and see. <laughs> Maybe you'll have a little bit of a different perspective. And also, you went from thinking, I'm going to be what? Let me do math. I'm going to be 40 or 50. I'm in 45. 45. There we go. I'm not good with math, okay? But you went from thinking I'm going to be almost, you know, I'm going to be way middle-aged when I get out. I'm going to be, what am I going to do? What am I going to work as? Who am I going to be? All of my friends are going to be married and having kids to being relatively young when you get out and you're like, oh, hello world. So were you ready? Were you shocked? Were you like, I don't even know who to call kind of things? Uh, yeah, a lot of that. Um, and I, I mean, I really had, I had done everything from educate myself <laughs> academically to read parenting books to again, self-help books and meditation and therapy and to try to prepare. Um, and because I wanted to have as many options, like the, the best advice or one of the best pieces of advice anybody's ever given me is that every choice we make either creates more or fewer options for us. And that options are really kind of the building blocks of life. And so I did everything I could. I worked, you know, white collar jobs and blue collar jobs. I worked in the factory. I did maintenance. I worked in the law library. I, I did everything I could to try to prepare myself. And still on a number of occasions in the first couple of months, I was laying on the floor in the fetal position, just crying and not knowing why I was struggling in, in the relationship I was in. I was struggling with the people around me. I was struggling with choice paralysis, going into a store or into a, a, a and just not being able to make a choice because I hadn't had to do that for the longest time. And I didn't have the resources. I didn't have the practice. Um, and yeah, not knowing who to call, like who, 
I, I, I did have support. I was incredibly fortunate to have a home that I could go to. And I, I lived there for a month until somebody else in the community was like, hey, I love your story. I want you to have a second chance. Let's get you moved into town where you can be closer to you know your, your work and your resources. And I, I just had an incredible turn of kind of like good luck and good fortune and good people that allowed me to be where I am today. Uh, but I can't tell you how rare that is. The vast majority of the people that I talk to struggle from day one and don't have that support or don't have those opportunities or those resources. And it's incredibly frustrating to watch somebody who's just as deserving as I am not get that chance or not get that break. And something you mentioned uh, with your Second Chancellor Foundation is, I forget what this percentage is, but a number of people that are released, they go back in. And I don't, I think it was the Shawshank Redemption, not to bring Hollywood into it, but the Shawshank Redemption, there was uh, an inmate who kept acting up to get back in because that was all he knew. It's such a sad thing to me that like what you were saying, not maybe they didn't have anybody on the outside. Maybe they didn't know what else to do when they got out there except go back to, you know, committing crimes. And it's, it's just something that's so sad for me. And you, with your organization, you're providing resources to kind of help people with that. Tell me a little bit about it. Sure. And by the way, as an aside, people always ask me about Shawshank. It is, I don't know where Stephen King got the idea to write, but it is the best, most realistic prison movie I've ever seen. Not necessarily the details of what it is, but capturing the like hopelessness and the small battles and the repetitions and the, it's just incredibly on point. Um, so we, we've done a couple different iterations for Second Chancellor Foundation. We had a local community member who had come across my social media and said, hey, I love what you're doing. I was, I was in like the fifth or sixth round of interviews for this big national nonprofit. And they said, hey, if you go work for them, it's just going to waste your time and waste your talents. Like they're one of those groups that raises all this money and it takes them years to do anything. Like don't. Like I believe in you enough that we're going to give you some seed funding. And we want you to get started. So we've done reentry programs through the through the city and in partnership with the university. We've done work in the juvenile. We've, we've done work kind of all around. And what we identified as we went through a population of formerly incarcerated people who found success is every single one of them had some sort of mentor or some sort of teacher who helped guide them in their new life. And so we said, okay, well, you know, I have that. I have a, a number of mentors who've been incredibly valued in my life. So how do we create that for other people? So what we did, I actually just got a demo of it yesterday, and I'm really excited. We built a mentor platform, so an online platform that can interface with uh, physical mail. People can write letters. It'll be scanned and processed. It can interface with SMS. It can interface with uh, prison email systems if they have a for-profit email system. And we can connect people with mentors on the outside. We've got an automated process that will help train and educate the mentors so they have a better understanding of what role they, they really need to play, what resources they need to have, how they can connect this, this individual. And we're looking to change people's lives by building those relationships that kind of unlock the doors and that share those skills and share those experiences that they may never have. Because I was able to come out and get that. I had a community that was kind of waiting on me because I had been you know, building this community and writing letters and having someone post stuff on social media. So people knew who I was and they, they were welcoming me with open arms. But so often people don't have that. And again, being able to come out to a community that was interested in me and said, oh, you know, we love what you're doing, or hey, how can we help you, or how can we partner with you, is such a vastly different experience than coming out to a, a community where you're either stigmatized and stuck to the side, or you're kind of drawn back into that old life. Because I know a lot of guys, when they get out, their buddies say, hey, man, here's a gun, here's some drugs, here's some whatever. And to them, that's helping out. But all it really is doing is just continuing this cycle of destruction and recidivism. Some people probably leave prison with like, the two dollars and 37 cents they had 20 years ago and their watch and nobody to pick them up they're wearing what what is the prison issued like jeans or whatever and it's like it's how can you not feel hopeless with that with that emptiness just the, the platform that you're describing it's incredible because there's a lot of people that would want to help and have no clue exactly I mean, 
include myself in that situation in that sentence because we want to you know people want to help but we have no idea where to start it's like and like you said with the nonprofits, with uh, donations people donate and they don't often see what's done with it it's kind of like oh well did did you help the person that i i donated to help it's like oh no it went to your your operating cost well that's not exactly what i wanted my donation to do so knowing what you're doing and what you're donating and what you're giving to your organization. That's brilliant. It's we're really excited about it. And we're working at a, a call with a fortune 500 company today. We're trying to find community partners and, and corporate partners for a couple of reasons. One, we want to have like the best mentors in a position. And a lot of people do have good intentions and do want to show up and help, but they don't necessarily have the skill set or the base of knowledge to share. So we're kind of imagining if we work with some of these big corporate partners, we've already vetted the people just by the fact that they work at that corporation. They, they clearly have the skills and the abilities to work there, which means they can share those skills and, or, uh, skills and ability. And we can train them and help them in, in the process of doing that. But that also then creates relationships. If this person works at a bank or works at a tech company or works at a wherever, and they're in a, you know, they're having regular conversations with somebody for a year, teaching them, training them. Well, that's a really good candidate for a job when they get out. Hey, we've got this guy that we've been grooming for a year to be a really good project manager, be a really good operations manager, be really good something else. We're actually creating a prison to job pipeline, which is really the dream. And in those situations, we're not working with corporate partners. Those people may be able to talk about entrepreneurship, starting their own small business or starting some other kind of practice or progress, uh, program. But we're, we're really just, again, trying to create as many options as possible for the people coming out by creating the relationships to just open those doors. And having those mentors or having the, like you were saying with uh, someone who, it can help erase a little bit of the stigma against hiring a convicted felon or incarcerated person. Yeah. And it's, it's two part because it's, we're trying to change a narrative around what it looks like with somebody coming out. That's one of the reasons I do all the videos I do. I do all the public speaking because people say you don't look like the kind of person who would go to prison. And they say, you don't seem like, but we're trying to change the narrative and the, the stigma and the prejudice around that because there are plenty of people like me in prison. There are plenty of people who are just as capable, who are smarter, who will accomplish more things than I will. And as long as we change that in the public, we're, that's the beginning. But the other thing is there are a lot of guys inside who don't believe in themselves. So we're trying to change the narrative in their hearts as well. Every time I go into the juvenile center, these kids say, you know, I, I don't know anybody who owns their own home. I don't know anybody who owns their own business. I don't know anybody who's ever been successful. Like, well, of course, like the only thing I can do is go to the streets. Like nobody's ever done that. So I bring in community leaders and business leaders and political leaders and say, hey, this person also did juvenile time or hey, this person is from your neighborhood. Hey, this person went to the same school you went to. These are the places you can go because we're trying to change the narrative in their lives so that they can see themselves becoming something they haven't previously imagined was possible. And then again, start putting those, those building blocks, putting those resources in place that allow them to actually achieve that goal. I think that's, that's incredibly important, especially like you said, with the, with the juveniles, these young kids, just the hopelessness and the, the, the self-doubt and the self-hate, honestly, like, like you said, what are they going to go home to? There might be a source of trauma that still lives in the house. What are they supposed to do? So changing people's perspective and changing the narrative that these aren't bad people. They're not bad kids. God, I have, I have boys myself as, as we discussed via email, your story, it kind of broke my heart, mended my heart and then broke my heart again, kind of thing. You could be the best parent in the world and your kid could have something going on untreated anxiety, untreated, you know, depression, something that they're trying to numb with, like you said, uh, marijuana, alcohol. My partner, he has PTSD from a, an abusive childhood. This is not telling the secrets. I don't think he has uh, medical marijuana. It's prescribed by his doctor. 
we joked the other day. I said, they say marijuana is a gateway drug. And he goes, absolutely. He goes, sometimes I wonder what would be stronger? What would cover this up more? You can't just numb. You have to deal with it. Unfortunately. I was in therapy the entire time I was in prison and I'm probably doing the best therapeutic work of my life right now. I was, <laughs> I was on a therapy session this morning, crying my eyes out. It's something that is incredibly difficult and is a lifelong journey. And I mean, we, we tap into new pockets, new pockets of trauma and pain and fear and past experience. And it's, it's scary and it's difficult. And again, if I didn't have the support system that I have, if I didn't have the group of people that I, that I know are there and love me and support me, I don't know that I would be able to go through this. I don't know that I had the courage or the will to do it. Well, and the fact that you're, I mean, you could have, you could have come out hateful and bitter. You could have come out just hating the world, hating everybody, hating uh, the people that put you there, which kind of goes into the self-hate a little bit because you put yourself there as well. You could have just come out an angry, hateful, bitter person and you're not. And that's, I think that's one of the things that drew me to your content. Cause I was like, I personally, I think I would be that I would be the angry, bitter, hateful woman. I just, you have to be, have this incredible like internal strength to do what you did. I think there's a mix with that because I mean, I have been angry. I, I hated myself for the vast majority of my life. I hated myself more than I could ever hate anybody else. Um, I got tired of it. I got to the point, you know, people say that the, when the fear of change suddenly is less than the, the fear of staying the same, that was it. Like I couldn't keep living the way that I was living and I had enough breakdowns and I had enough collapses that I just, I couldn't keep doing it. I literally, I would have ended things had I had to keep living the way that I was. And so being grateful and being connected and being the person that I am and interacting with people the way that I do, there's a selfish component to that. I do that because that gives me peace, because it makes me happy, because it feels meaningful, because it's important to me. Um, so it's not just that this is like some purely altruistic thing. Like this is a life where I feel most meaningfully engaged, where I feel most content, where I feel most satisfied. And it's a, because I've tried, like I've been profoundly selfish. I've, I've tried to fill the void with every possible thing you can imagine. And it's never worked or it's never worked for long. And I realized like there has to be a different way. And so I think that, you know, people will often say that they'll say like, oh, I don't think I could do what you've done. But I think we always think that, you know, I have a friend whose child had this six year bout with cancer. I have people who've survived absolutely horrible experiences. And I think the thing is like, we're, we're kind of like that, that uh, um, flower growing up through the concrete. Like we don't have a choice. We're going to survive because that is what it is that we do. And so we just take it one day at a time. And if we have a different struggle than somebody else, that doesn't mean that our struggle is harder, or easier, or more or less valid. It's just, we're all struggling. We're all doing the best we can. Absolutely. I did want to ask, you said you, uh, you got your degree, which is awesome. And you became a journeyman electrician. How, how do you learn that in, inside? Does not have a higher education program. Like I had to do that through a higher university, which was all paid out of pocket, which was kind of a disaster. Um, but it, after 15 years, I got that. They do have vocational training programs, which are really important. And the vocational teacher I had was by far the best employee, individual advocate I've ever met in the Department of Corrections. He's amazing. I actually talked to him recently. He's finally at headquarters. They were like, hey, we need to put you in charge of this stuff because you're doing amazing work. So he taught the electrical class and then I had a job on maintenance. And what that did is it made me eligible for an apprenticeship program, which he didn't have to teach, but he went above and beyond to teach the apprenticeship program one night a week, every week for you know however many years he was there. And that allowed us to get the on the job training at my maintenance job and then get the book hours through the apprenticeship program. 
we got to use the tools there. And on maintenance, my job was to do electrical and electronics work anyway. So I was getting the, the daily practice. I had to take the, the books. And during COVID, when they weren't allowing anybody in the facility, he somehow convinced them to let the state testing agent in the facility, allowed me to take my journeyman's test, allowed me to be licensed, to get out. And you know, I, I could go basically straight to work doing electrical work. And that's the kind of thing where it's like an opportunity. That's a, a key to a doorway because they will they would hire me on day one because I had that card where they may have thought about it or may have given me a chance or may not have if I didn't. That's incredible. And that goes back to the, the whole idea of mentoring and being there for the people that need it. Yeah. Absolutely. So are you an electrician outside now? I just have to ask. I, I've done a bunch of side work, but no, I weirdly, my life took a very different path than that. I, I didn't expect it. I, I really, I mean, that was the first job interview I went to was for the local university doing maintenance work as an electrician. They really wanted me because of my license, because I could run jobs. Um, and I actually turned that job down because of the, the options thing. I had the offer there and I had the, a job offer somewhere else and the job offer somewhere else didn't pay quite as well and didn't have benefits, but it was flexible and I could work whenever I wanted and I could travel and I could do it remote. And I realized, you know, I, I want to have as many options as possible. So even though maybe I'll regret this in the long run, I, I chose that position and it created the opportunity for me to do everything that I've done since. So I, I still stick by the options plan, uh, even if I may be a little bit out of practice with my linemans and my uh, my cutters. You're like, I got to take that. Uh, what is it? Continuing education. <laughs> I do, actually. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's It sounds like the opportunities that you're providing are going to help so, so many people. And this is, can I ask, is it for men, women in between kids? For liability issues, until we can raise more money to, to cover the insurance, we can't work with uh, children because there are always all sorts of liability issues with a mentor who's untrained and unvetted, but to the highest degree working with anyone who's a juvenile. But for men and women who are incarcerated or formerly incarcerated, they can log into our program. They can connect directly. There's no limitation. We're not barring anybody. We're, basically, we want to be very selective about the mentors we have because we want to make sure we have people that add the great, best value and have the best of intentions. With uh, the people who are uh, incarcerated or formerly incarcerated, we have some safeguards in place. We have an AI program that's going to run through all of the, the wording to make sure nothing untoward is happening, no personal information is being solicited, no money is being solicited, basically nothing. We've got basically safeguards to keep people from violating any kind of like ethical practices. But what what's going to happen there is the people who participate are going to be the ones who want it. Because you have guys inside who all say, oh, I want to do this, but don't actually do the work. Well, they might do one exchange or two exchanges, but they're not going to keep doing it if they're not interested. So we kind of self-select the people who are most motivated and most want to do the work. And then we're hoping for a ripple effect because if 10 guys in every prison do this and develop this great mentor relationship and other people see that and they're like, oh my, this guy is getting educated. He's getting, you know, he's getting these job offers. He's getting these, these skills and these trades and these certifications. Like, yeah, we like, I want to do that. Maybe I can do that because again, we're using the kind of the people that we're helping to be emissaries of change and be kind of agents of change just by living their life and living their story and showing that it's possible to other people. Absolutely. If, if you know that, um, we're going to use Bobby again. If Bobby, if you see that Bobby's got a job lined up for when he gets out in six months or, you know, three months or whatever it is, you're like, wait a minute, I'm out in eight and I'm out in eight months. Maybe I should really hop on this because yeah. I'd like to have a paycheck when I get out of here. Yeah, absolutely. Well, if people are interested in helping with the second chance organization, can they reach out to you via the website or? Sure. Second hyphen chancer.org. We, um, we're working on the landing page for the mentor ap application process. We are going to get that up and running probably within the next few weeks as we open up a few pilots. Uh, we want to have three different geographic locations where we're helping people. And then eventually, once we're up and running, it's going to be universal. You can be anywhere in the country. You can help someone anywhere in the country. There's going to be no limitation because we realize that rather than doing one-off pairings like we, we, we had originally intended, 
uh, technology is a force multiplier. It, it costs us the same or it allows us to, you know, help 10,000 people or 100,000 people rather than dealing with the logistics of just helping one person. And that's really exciting because we don't want to have these opportunities limited to just a very select few. We want everybody who is willing to put in the work and willing to put in the time to have the opportunity. Right. It's, it's something that has the, the capacity to create like widespread change system itself. Yeah. Wow. Amazing. And people can follow you on social media as well. Sure. Uh, Jesse Crossan or second chancer, second underscore chancer, second chancer, four, three, four. There are a couple different iterations, but it's all just my name or second chancer. Well, I know your website is jessecrossan.com and the second hyphen chancer.org. So people can just tune in and keep up to date with everything that's going on. I'm so glad that you accepted my invitation to, to join me. This is something that's kind of, no, it is close to my heart just in, in general, because if you have a heart for people, you have a heart for people that are in difficult circumstances as well. So I love the content that you put out. I love the work that you're doing. So thank you for joining me. I appreciate it. Absolutely. Thank you. Usually I'd say what's up next for you, but you got a lot going on with this organization and I'm excited for people to learn more about it and get, get involved. As yeah, much. we... I mean, I'm very excited. We I had a, a meeting today with Verizon's corporate social responsibility team. We're trying to bring them on as a partner. I reached out. I have an existing relationship with Cisco Systems. Uh, we're trying to bring on as many corporate partners as we can. Uh, we're still kind of struggling with fundraising because all the, the big federal grants we really haven't been able to access, but I'm hoping that's going to change here soon. We've gotten another partner who's going to help us with those grants. Yeah, I mean, because basically once we get once we get the money to flush out our infrastructure and we have program managers who can run all these different accounts who can make sure it's, it's going smoothly, like I said, we can scale to a degree that I never imagined possible. Um, and I'm just, I'm really excited because I'm starting to see the impact and I'm starting to see all the pieces come together. And I mean, this was a pipe dream, you know, a year ago. It was something we, we thought maybe this is, and it's all come together and it's been really amazing and really gratifying to watch. Well, again, thank you. Thank you so much for joining me. It's been a blast and it's been very eye-opening for me. So thank you. Thank you. Have a great day. You as well. This has been an Odd Imagination production. Here at Odd Imagination, you'll find book, film, television, and product reviews, as well as roundtable discussions, current events, and hot topics. We are advocates for equality and the freedom to be who you are, no matter what. Odd Imagination gets its name from autism and imagination, two things that are very important to us. If you would like more information on Odd Imagination, and the podcasts that we host on our website, you can visit autimagination.org, A-U-T-I-M-A-G-I-N-A-T-I-O-N.org. And pulling me, she knows all about the drug. I plagiarize all my apologies, and they still want enough. I know, I know, I know that I should let her go, but I don't, I don't, I don't seem to be in control.
Oh